Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. Hey, Jason. How are you? Hey, Stephen. You're I'm good? Jason Snell, your hey, co-host, go. and across the internet from me, <laughs> it's Stephen Hackett, my co-host, and yours. One day we'll get the intro right. It's really hard. Yeah, there's like two whole sentences there. So yes, we're, we're back after a fortnight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little longer than a fortnight because we got excited and released the Martian ep- uh, episode a little early. It's true. And uh, as follow-up, I suppose I should mention that we did do a, an incomparable episode about the Martian, which is number 268. So if you want to hear more, Stephen and I are both there along with some other fine people talking even more about the Martian. So you can go to theincomparable.com and uh, you'll find it. It's episode 268. It'll be in the show notes too. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun being on the comparable. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, y'all's episode numbers are getting big, man. Two sixty eight's not messing around. It's a lot. I, I I was just saying to somebody the other day, might be our friend Mike, that you know all of a sudden you know you're talking you're looking up at number three hundred, <laughs> thinking what what did I do? What have I done here? Yeah, I mean for I mean for a weekly show, it's five years. I mean roughly, the math works out. <laughs> yeah, roughly weekly, right? I mean, you, it, I think sometimes well, you drop. I I believe. Because we did some bonus episodes, that that's almost exactly the. I think it pencils out to one a week, but yeah, occasionally we'll skip, but very rarely. It's it's pretty pretty much once a week. Pretty good. A lot of numbers. So we have some uh, pre-flight checklist items yes. to go through before we get to our big topic. Yeah, as we, we should. do. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week we spoke, or last episode we spoke about those Apollo images that had been uh, released on Flickr. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people sent us this, um, but uh, there is a, a video over on YouTube that takes those images, and it's it's like two and a half minutes long, and uh, makes a little film out of them called Ground Control, and yeah. it is hauntingly good. Like it's super awesome, and you should go check it out. Yeah, it's uh, by a, a guy named Tom, and he used uh, Photoshop, After Effects, and Audition to create sort of like moving stills of the uh of the apollo uh, shots it's uh, a neat little uh project it is two minutes two minutes yeah it's it's well worth the uh the two minutes our next item is uh a list of nasa projects related to the martian um this was sent into us by liftoff listener uh andrew and andrew uh works for nasa on a something called the TechPort. And TechPort basically is a website that collects information on NASA, NASA-funded technology projects. And so you can search, you can look at uh, details, download data sheets, uh, and run reports. Um, kind of get a, get a feel and a sense for what they're doing. And uh, he ran this report for us, so I've got I've got it listed up over on GitHub. You can see uh, all these different projects with links to them. So it's, I, mean, I don't even know how many things are here. It's like, it's like 30 things. Um, that are all related to things we see in the movie, which is uh, pretty sweet. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty fun uh, list. I, I'm just I'm impressed by the, the the fact that this is this list exists, but it's uh it's cool. It is cool. Techport is fun. I had um I had not played with this before, but it's um it's uh it's pretty neat. So there'll be a link to uh to that and to everything else in the show notes, which you can find on our site this week at relay.fm slash liftoff. Slash six. Number six, Jason. It's a good number. It's small. One digit, but still pretty good. Yeah. uh, What's next? 
Uh, okay, so <laughs> this is going to be, uh, it's funny. Basically, uh, we uh, have a story that everybody said, oh, you guys should talk about this. And it's one of those things that is, <laughs> I keep trying to, to, to disclaim this before we talk about it. Um, it's probably not aliens is how I'm going to phrase it, right? It's probably not aliens, but it's a fun story nonetheless, and it is fun to imagine what if it was aliens. Um, and we'll we'll link in the show notes to it. There's a nice piece by uh, Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, about this. But basically, our friend, uh, the Kepler mission, which we've talked about before, which finds exoplanets by looking for eclipses, essentially, where the brightness from various stars dips and then comes back over time mm -hmm. because planets are moving in front of the face of the star very, very, very far away. And yet our, our, uh, our instruments are sensitive enough to detect these dips in brightness. And then from that, you can, you can determine size and, um, and uh, orbital period of the exoplanets. So that's uh, really cool. And we found, found thousands of planets that way. But there is this one weird uh, thing that they found, which has got a not interesting name of KIC8462852. <laughs> because there are so many of these candidates. But what, what's interesting about this is it has huge dips in brightness. And um, there are no clear periodic uh signals that it's like all jumbled and mixed up and so it's a really interesting um it's a and, and there are a whole lot of these little dips all all throughout some of which are big but there there are all sorts of them it's unlike anything that kepler has seen so um the the scientist wrote a paper that tried to that detailed this data and tried to explain what uh, what they were seeing. And they came up with a lot of uh, different things that might explain it. And what's interesting about the paper is most of them, um, they kind of uh, write off and they say, well, it could be this, but it's not. You know, we thought about this, but it's not. And that's a good scientific method thing, right? You put a hypothesis, what if it's this? Well, then we would see this and we don't. Um, one of the things that they said is that uh, it could be like a, a series of comets, like a cloud of comets, um, but uh, they, they thought that maybe it wasn't super likely, um, but it's it's possible. The most um, so basically, this is a great scientific question that will that people will now spend time thinking about and perhaps measuring further, which is why is this system not like any of the others we've seen before, and uh, and what does that mean? Um, that that you know that that's good because. Just like when we talk about Pluto and we say they, they, they found unexpected things, that's good because then scientists start working on, okay, if it looks like this, what could that mean? And trying to figure out why a thing is the way it is. However, there was a paper that was sent, uh, that, was, that was published, that is about what would a, uh, a Dyson sphere or a, a Dyson swarm, which is a, uh, an, a, a structure made by intelligent life that wants to essentially... Um, sop up as much solar energy in their system as possible as they become a more advanced civilization. And and it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big ball around a sun. It could just be a whole bunch of different solar panels, like, you know, just huge amounts of them, but not necessarily like totally covering uh, into like a tennis ball around a star, <laughs> uh, but something a little bit less than that. And what would that look like? And And what people got excited about was, you know, it might look like something like what we saw here. 
or it might not. And uh, that's a, uh, it's a fun, I mean, it's a scientific paper, so I don't know if people want to read it or not, but we'll link to it. It's called The Search for Extraterrestrial Civilizations with Large en- Energy Supplies, the Signatures and Information Content of Transiting Megastructures. And the idea is, if we looked at something that had a Dyson Swarm with Kepler, what would we see? And uh, it's just a fun idea. So it's fun. This is all fun. But uh, in the end, uh, we come back to Occam's Razor which is, it's probably not that. It's probably not an advanced alien civilization that has built giant structures that orbit its star in order to take as much of the uh, of the, the solar energy as possible and capture it and use it for some purpose. But is it worth pointing, you know, radio telescopes at it? Is it worth investigating this star further in general? Uh, yeah, because it's weird and we don't understand it. And I, I think that's the most fascinating thing about this story. And while it is fun to speculate about uh, aliens and things like that, um, and that it is, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think it's also exciting that this is something that even <laughs> not like we're jaded with an exoplanet searches, but, um, we have learned a lot about what's different, uh, configurations of solar systems might look like, uh, over the last decade. And, uh, it, with the all, with all the Kepler data, especially it's fun to have, um, have something that we don't understand. Because that, that's when things get really interesting. And it doesn't require aliens for it to get really interesting. It can change how we how we think of the universe and what the possibilities are. So it's fun. It, it is fun, you know. And, and it's do you, one of those things. Stephen, do you welcome our alien overlords? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. It's one of those things where, like, you know, this story kind of uh, made the rounds. And oh, yeah. people were like, oh, yeah, we found aliens. I'm like, well, we found, like, a shadow that it <laughs> yeah. could be literally lots of other things. But. That's the Occam's Razor problem, right? Which is, right. it could be, but it probably isn't. But it could be, but it, but it probably isn't. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's, while we're on the theme of papers, uh, we're going to take our papers and we're going to swing into Pluto Corner uh, very quickly. Oh, nice. Um, it's the alignment of the paper paper topic and Pluto Corner all at once. It is. It, it happens once every 32 years. <laughs> so the the first scientific paper about the New Horizons flyby uh, has been published. So we have a link uh, to the BBC about the paper and then a link to sciencemag.org that has uh, parts of the paper, it seems like. Um, so the abstract and the sure. summary and whatnot. Um, and it's, you know, it's like we've been talking about. They're going to send this, uh, we're going to get this data back and it's going to get distilled and, and poked at by scientists and they're going to start drawing conclusions from it. And uh, this particular paper is talking about the the surface of Pluto, like we've been talking about the the color, the comp, uh, the sort of looking for the composition, the potential for uh, water ice, all this stuff, kind of really forming into some some theories and some ideas around Pluto that will continue to be tested, of course, as more data comes in. But uh, the scientists are, are hard at work on coming up with some conclusions about all of this uh, 50 gigabytes of data that we already have back. Yeah, it's funny. This is um, Since this is a public agency that's doing this, this is one of the challenges of doing science and space science uh, in particular is um, the data is, it needs to, needs to be seen by the public and needs to ha- there needs to be access by uh, anybody who wants to see it. But um, the way that scientists' careers work, <laughs> they need to be able to publish and be cited. And you spend decades maybe working on a mission like this and you're one of the, you know, investigators on this mission 
and you you want to be able to publish and, and based on the data you see and you don't want it to be so there, there are challenges about data gets released a little bit later um, and even though a lot of what's in this paper is stuff that we've sort of seen in press releases and things like that in the last few weeks uh, it's still important that uh, that the papers get published because they mean a lot um, academically they mean a lot to the careers of the people who are doing this and um, this is where some of the more you know, it's 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 this is where the technical work can can be shown in a way that a something that's outreach to the general public can't do. So it's just it's an it, there's always an interesting tension, and we've seen it in exoplanets, we, we and we've seen it uh, in uh, uh, stuff like uh, like solar system exploration, where there's a tension between uh, like who gets the data and when do they get it and when is it public and who gets the opportunity to publish and who published first and who gets cited and it's just kind of interesting but it's it's uh new horizons has has gone down that path now it's not just this thing that we're all wowing at the pictures but it's uh you know the scientific papers have begun finally in uh, our our checklist here we have uh, a story about the deep space climate observatory which we spoke about that that image a couple of months ago of the moon um passing in front of the camera that was taken from this spacecraft right. and it is uh now thanks to uh a new site on a, a new page on NASA site they are showing a daily photo just about um so there's the eight of them up right now so you can go to this uh this this page and you can basically watch the world turn and the this <laughs> <laughs> which is cool the um the site too has a little graphic on it showing uh, where the Earth is in rotation and where the uh, Discover spacecraft is in relation to it. So you can kind of get a sense of where you are in space. And this thing is 930,000 miles away. Um, and just, you know, it's it's astonishing to me, you know, that blue marble photo from the Apollo mission, you know, that was such a, a changing event. And now it's just like, we get one every day. Like, just every day one comes in and we put it on this website and uh, f- for me, that's that's an interesting evolution, but uh, a pretty cool site that's uh, fun to uh, fun to check out. Yeah, that's really great. It's cool. So we're gonna talk about the sun today, Jason. Uh, the sun the is sun. hot. The sun is not a place where you could live, but here on Earth, there'd be no life without the light it gives. It's true. Uh, so we're going to, to break this down. Uh, we're going to talk about some general facts about the sun, and then we're going to talk about the makeup of the sun from the center outward. So if you, if you look in your show notes or, uh, again on the site, uh, relayfm slash liftoff slash six, there is a graphic there that shows the, the way that the sun is kind of put together. And we're going to follow that from the, the innermost point out. That seemed like a logical way to me to kind of, uh, talk about the sun. But but first, we need to talk about the the sun itself, kind of in the solar system. Jason, the sun is really big. The sun is so large that a million Earths would fit inside, and yet it is only a middle-sized star. So I'm going to stop quoting that song very eventually. Um, <laughs> it is it is larger than the average star because of the red the red dwarfs. It turns out since that song was written in the 50s, I want to say 60s that. Um, it's uh, there's so many red dwarfs that the red dwarfs are very common and and uh, and stars like the sun are less common than that. But still, it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's a star. It's a run of a mill star. There are um, there are bigger ones. There are smaller ones. Um, 
and it's everything, right? It's if you were looking at a at a, at a distance to our solar system, you would just say it's got a star and some junk, <laughs> and 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 we're the we're the junk. <laughs> but uh, it's like ninety eight percent of the solar system is the, is the sun. Yeah, it's uh, and reading about this, and and we do want to talk about stellar evolution. And that's like your favorite space topic. It is. It is kind of remarkable how unremarkable our star is. It is just sort of a middle of the road guy who it's obviously critically special to us, but in the, in the world of uh, spinning galaxies, just uh, another, uh, just another star. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's, uh, it, we, we know it's got a civilization on it, uh, on uh, orbiting a planet around it that it, with liquid water and all. I mean, there are lots of things that we don't know yet. This is why exoplanet, searches are so important we don't know yet how how common or uncommon the solar system is in general but yeah the sun is uh is uh we look around and see a lot of stars that are a lot like the sun we'll put it that way it doesn't it's not a one in a million special kind of star it is uh it it, you know and it's uh yeah it's it's a uh population one star they call it but basically that means that that the the sun's got more elements in it than just hydrogen and helium. It's got other stuff that a lot of uh, scientists like to call metals, even though they're not the metals that we would think. Um, it's got more. It's got more of those, which suggests that you know it. It we also know it hasn't been around as long as the universe has, and uh, and so it's in a later generation of of stars. Because it's the center of our solar system, we use it to measure so many things. So uh, I think we've even had said this phrase on the show and not really explained it, but. One astronomical unit uh, is about 150 million kilometers, one AU. Uh, that's the, the mean distance from the sun to the earth. And um, that kind of became the yardstick that we use to go measure other things. Right, right. I mean, yeah, you're right. A lot of things are defined by um, by the sun. The, an AU, uh, talking about other stars, we often will refer to them as by solar masses, basically how many how much bigger or smaller it is than our sun. Um, but, the, you know, the, the sun is 98% of our solar system. So, of course, it is yeah. central. It, it weighs uh, two octillion tons, <laughs> which is a lot. I could totally imagine that number in my yeah, head. No. I actually uh, had it written out, but then I was like, nope, no one. I'm not going to be able to pronounce that one. It's time to pronounce it if I don't actually put the word there. And like we said, it has the the bulk of the material in our solar system. Yeah. Um, because of that, because it's the core, it's that central hub, um, its gravity is very intense. It's what holds our our solar system together. There's obviously a lot of pull in between planets and planets and moons and everything, but the sun is, is again, that central hub, and we all spin around it. Indeed. Um, we don't spin around the Earth, turns out. We learned that that's uh, not true. Right, and when we... Um you know, when the solar system was formed out of this kind of a cloud of, of gas and dust, um, most of the models, I mean, they suggest that there was there, there at some point there is a, um, there is a little bit of a rotation in the, that, that kind of begins to accrete. And that is why, you know, the, the sun rotates and that is why the planets rotate. And that is why the, the planets revolve in the direction they do around the sun. That's not a coincidence that everybody's kind of going one direction. It's sort of like we all coalesced out of the cloud of junk and they all that, that whole cloud had that 
kind of motion and it continues to this day. So we're all, you know, we're all in this together is what I'm saying. There you go. One giant boat of solar system uh-huh. neighbors. The the light from the sun, we're going to talk about where that light comes from. We see it as sort of a yellowish white uh, light. Um, of course, during sunrise and sunset, it is that is obscured and uh, changed by the atmosphere. Uh-huh. But uh, in reality, the sun puts off all, all sorts of light. Um, it's got blue and green and purple. We don't see those. Um, a lot of that is either absorbed or reflected off our atmosphere, which uh, is, is, remember, we have this atmosphere that is is basically a, a nice warm blanket around the Earth, and it protects us, as we'll get to, from a lot of bad stuff from the sun, but it does filter out some of that light. So when we look at the sun, we see it most of the time as, as, a, as a yellow color. However, we should advise you, don't go out and look at the sun after this episode, <laughs> because your eyes will be sad. Yeah. It's amazing. We... You know, we evolve on this planet, uh, so our eyes are, you know, it was all directed toward detecting wavelengths that are put out by the sun. So that makes sense. Um, but uh, it's it's also interesting that obviously all the animals on this planet have some sort of innate reaction to not stare at the sun <laughs> or that, you know. All the ones, I guess all the animals that ju- did just stare at the sun, they all died. <laughs> so now everybody has learned, don't look at the sun. Don't, so don't look at the sun. Don't do saying. that. Um, when we when we have photos of the sun, we're going to talk about some of those. Those are all taken with uh, highly specialized equipment because it, uh, it is bright. It is... Uh, yeah, it, there, there's certain levels of like welding glass and stuff like that. But it's just basically there are when there are eclipses, they there are places where you can get glasses that you can use to look at the sun. Um, uh, but even then, the safest way to do it is to make a pinhole in a piece of paper and look at the shadow instead. Um, so we're going to start talking about the sun's four main zones. Uh, but first, Jason, you want to tell us about our first sponsor? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, our sponsor, again are the, the nice people at Wobbleworks who make Luminos, uh, the amazing space simulator for iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch. It's got something for every astronomy enthusiast. You can not only hold up your device to identify your favorite sky objects, but with a tap, you can launch through space and visit them firsthand. Luminos creates the solar system uh, in 3D in the palm of your hand. Any astronomy feature you might want is included. There are detailed planet and moon maps, tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, millions of stars, the largest deep space image catalog on mobile, there's wireless telescope control, and more. You can even view live sky charts on your Apple Watch. I heard from a podcast listener the other day who is also a science fiction writer who said that Luminos was really great for plotting out a space opera he's writing so i thought that was a pretty awesome that's pretty cool little angle uh, because it'll get you out there there's millions of stars um luminos is from wobbleworks as i mentioned that is a family business john and brian at wobbleworks have more than 50 years combined of hardware and software experience from small startups to big enterprises like apple microsoft and oracle luminos has been in development for more than 10 years and on the app store for almost five one price, no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases. You buy it and you get it. They're in their fifth year of providing free feature updates. Now, speaking of the sun, our topic, Luminos has an easy-to-use orrery mode, which gives a striking view of how the planets, comets, and asteroids navigate the solar system. You tap fly into orbit from the solar system page, and you'll be launched into space where you can pan around a 3D view of the sun and its orbiting bodies. And for a great comparison of orbital speeds, you can tap the clock control to speed up time. So not only are we telling you about this app, we're giving you some tips. 
about how to use it when you get it. So check out Luminos at Wobbleworks.com. And thank you to Luminos and Wobbleworks for sponsoring Liftoff. So the uh, we're going to start at the center. And the the sun is is made up of layers. There's an image in the show notes. It's like a fiery uh, jawbreaker of death. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the internal structure has a core and a uh, radiation zone, mm-hmm. which is the the very heart of the sun. And, and because the sun is so big, there's so much mass, the pressure at the core is just, is just unbelievably uh, strong. 260 billion times the atmospheric pressure on earth. And it's 15 million degrees Celsius. It is, it is hot. (laughs) Well, this is, this is, this is, it's, it's so much gravitational pressure at the center of the sun that, um, Hydrogen atoms smash into each other with such force that they turn into helium. That's serious business, <laughs> and that and that's the fusion that that uh, powers the sun. But that that's why it happens. It doesn't happen because they're having a party party in there. It's happening yeah. because of the immense gravitational pressure that is uh, causing that fusion to happen. And uh, the the numbers are staggering: uh, seven hundred million tons of hydrogen turn into 695 million tons of helium every second. And if you do the math, and, and if you remember your uh, equals MC squared, that means 5 million tons is converted to energy every second. And that's a lot of energy. It's, yeah, the numbers are just are just unbelievable. That energy is equivalent uh, to detonating 400 billion megaton nuclear weapons every second. Every second. I mean, <laughs> uh, the scale is, is, is big here, and the... Uh, like you said, that that process spins off energy. Um, the the light uh, created that that energy created. Uh, scientists disagree. The number I sort of settled on in reading a bunch of different articles was one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand years to reach the surface of the sun. So if you kind of if you picture this this transaction taking place where hydrogen is turned into helium. And it releases energy. That energy doesn't have a clean path out to the surface of the sun. It bumps into the next subatomic particle. The thing happens again. Energy is spun off. And that happens over and over. Which means the light that we are seeing now, um, theoretically, was actually first created, if you will, when Homo sapiens were like first getting their start, I mean, yeah. So the the for a photon to come out of that and and uh, work its way out it takes a long time. Um, the way that I always learned it is that stars shine because they're hot, um, and that that really what we're when we see the light from the sun, what we're seeing is the light being emitted by the hot gas on the outside of the sun, and that the you know there's not a it's not a light bulb. <laughs> Uh, with a with like a glass outside, and then the the real source of the light is on the inside. Um, it, it's it's a it's a big you know ball of a gas or plasma, and it shines because it's hot. And um, just like a red hot uh, fireplace poker or something like that. Um, and and it, that's that's the light that we see. My understanding, anyway, not uh, not a, a solar scientist either, is that that the stars are shining because they're hot, and that's that's why the light is the what what it is and the wavelength it is is because of how hot the sun is on the outside. Right, and that that energy coming from again this these little atoms being stripped down and and energy being uh, created from that. 
uh, it's just amazing to be something on the subatomic level. We're talking about the volume we're talking about um, can create this sort of uh, heat and light where you step outside and you feel it on your skin. Yeah. All, all that comes from just little electrons being stripped off. Yeah. And with it and with the, the scattering uh, and exponential decrease over space from one astronomical unit away that uh, it's still the thing that provides all the energy essentially in our, in our, on our planet. <laughs> For, right. In terms of the biosphere, the heat, you know, it creates the, the weather, <laughs> it, you know, it warms the planet, it uh, feeds the photosynthesis, all of that is, all of that is happening from this little tiny fraction of what is put out uh, by the sun. But that's a lot, you know, it's, that's, fusion is powerful, right? I mean, when, when you talk about fission and fusion, um, you're talking about splitting atoms and, and breaking bonds, and, if, and it takes a lot of energy to break atomic bonds or to fuse uh, nuclei together, but um, the result is that is that uh, just huge energy conversion. And there's so much of it, like you said, five tons a second that's being, fu- that's uh, being converted directly into energy. It's just a, a, an enormous amount. This is, this is why an alien race would probably build a Dyson swarm because the, the sun stars put out lots of energy, just, just mind boggling amounts of energy. The, uh, the core is because it is changing hydrogen to helium the the core itself the, the larger percentage of the material there is now helium um and you know we talk about life's cycles of stars and the time it takes for stars to change we're talking long amounts of time it's not like we're going to be uh suddenly you know out of one of these materials next week <laughs> all right this no. is this is not not on a scale that we need to that we need to worry about right now. Um, but the sun is getting, <laughs> is getting brighter as the core becomes it more is. densely packed with hydrogen. Um, and it's, it's that rate of burn, if you will, of, of how quickly it's burning through these elements that really dictate the life cycle of a star anyways. And so if you've got more of one and less of another, you're going to be in a different part of that life cycle. Right. This is the sun is what's called a main sequence star, which means it's in the it's in its middle age. It's in its regular the the kind of the, the main part of its life where it's it's burning uh, hydrogen into helium and the helium ash essentially is being deposited in the center of the star. And uh, as as it gets older, uh, it will get brighter uh, and make everything a little bit hotter. Um, and then in about you said the number that doesn't matter. It's yeah, five five point four a billion years, roughly, from now. I mean, point four. I, I'm kind of impressed that that we've got it that close. But it's it's a long it's a long time from now. Uh, it will uh, the the hydrogen fusion in in the uh, in the sun will uh, no longer be able. There won't be enough material left for that part of its life. At which point, it will um, leave the main sequence. We'll get uh, uh, the helium will ignite, and there's a very brief. Uh, helium uh, flash that happens um and then at that point um there you know there's a, we'll we'll talk about it in another episode someday you know it becomes an asymptotic giant uh on the agb branch uh and it has a life cycle there where it gets bigger and it gets smaller and it blows out a nebula and it's this uh it's this whole like end end game uh, but all of that happens because ultimately all the hydrogen at the center that all the fusible hydrogen is turned into helium and it runs out. And when it runs out, um, there's nothing, there's not a lot more. There's a little bit more, but a star of the sun size, there's not a lot more that can be done. There's not a lot more that can be fused. And so um, it's over at that point, but it's a long time. 
it's like yeah, five five billion years. It's 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 a long time. It, it's it's it, the sun is not halfway through its life. Let's put it that way, because the sun's only about four point six billion years old, and it's got five point four billion more years to go. So it's got plenty of time, plenty of time left. Um, so that's the core where that fusion is taking place. Um, the layer uh, that surrounds the core, kind of the next layer out, is called the convec- the convection zone. Uh, the convection zone still made up of these same gases, but they're slightly cooler. They're, they're too cool. It's too cool, and the pressure is lower. So we're not having fusion here. But uh, in, instead, this the easiest thing to think about is like a, a convection oven where you have uh, hot air, and in, in this case, um, hot, you know, <laughs> uh, unbelievably hot gases and hot material cycling upward and outward. And that that cycle brings the heat uh, and the energy away from the core towards the surface, um, sort of in these in these long columns or arcs of of heat and energy. Yeah, this is it's it's very hard to picture this, but this this idea that there is this dynamic system of gas uh, and pl- or plasma that, but it's just this dynamic system of material that it's just impossibly hot and impossibly dense, but not at the level of fusion. And it's all just kind of moving around in a way that's, you know, in some way similar to, um, you know, air moving outside, right. Of like the hot air rises and the cooler air lowers in and, and things move around, but it's this dynamic, complicated, uh, chaotic system. Right. And, and we're talking about, uh, a system and these columns extending hundreds of kilometers up and away from the core. Uh, it's a it's a it's a big area, and again, it's you know, it's so weird about the sun. I think one reason it's sort of hard to wrap your mind around it. Like we kind of understand Earth, right? Like it's got a hard, relative, you know, hard surface, and then there's sort of hot stuff under there, but it's sort of baked into this crust. Well, the sun is not not that way. It is becoming. Uh, less dense and cooler as you move out. Hmm. Um, so it's not these, and looking at these zones, n- very few of them are very clearly defined from each other. Right. It's sort of this gradient of, I move further out and I'm and the pressure is going down and the temperature is going down. Um, and as these columns of, of, of heat and of light and of energy move up, uh, as the plasma moves up, it cools and eventually uh, starts to sink back down to the core uh, will pick up more energy and the cycle slowly like churns and, and turns over itself. Uh, maybe we should pack our bags and go to the photosphere. Sure. This is, the, this is the part we're most familiar with because this is basically what we see. It's the, it's right. the outside, what we would call the surface of the sun, which is again, not, a, not really something that you can say about it, but this is, this is the part the photosphere is, is where the, uh, what we it's what we see when we look at the sun, but not directly because it would burn your eyes. <laughs> so it's it's much thinner. Uh, it is much cooler than the convection zone above it, and of course because we're further away from the core, um, less gravitational pressure. And so here is where we start to see um, the photosphere is what you see the the light coming from. Like you said, it it glows, and because it's less dense here, that light can escape. This yeah. is like you said. This is what we see. Again, it's not a it's not a surface you can't go and like, you know, like drop a penny into it and it's going <laughs> to stop necessarily. I mean, it's still all gases. Like it's it's you're going to uh, lose that penny, by the way. Yeah, that penny's gone. But, <laughs> I don't uh, know what the melting point yeah. of copper is. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's it's yeah the 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 gas the gas gets thinner 
and and cooler because it's in space, right? So there's there's the the heat coming from the inside, but there's also space. Uh, so the heat is radiating out into into space, and space can take a lot of heat because space is super cold. Um, and and so you get this the the um, it's not quite an equilibrium, but you you get this. Well, maybe it is. It, the idea is that that there's a there's a gradient that happens, and and so the stuff we see, while while we would still say it's insanely hot. Um, it's the part that is the cool part, the cooling zone above the the crazy uh, crazier zone below. Um, but it's all still it's all still pretty crazy. I mean, when I think of the sun, I just kind of shake my head because it's all um, the scale is is so huge and and it's it's so unlike any other kind of uh, type of object in certainly in our solar system. It, it, but it's just it's hard. It's so far out of human uh, understanding. So. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to stand on the sun. Don't put a penny on it. There's no place no. to stand, and you will die. <laughs> You'll be dead well before you get close enough to try to stand on it. But uh, yeah. Uh, so not solid surface. You know, I, I kind of the way I sort of pictured the way I saw it described is sort of it's an envelope around the hotter areas beneath. So it's it's a it's it's not a clearly defined zone as we're getting ready to talk about. There's not the photosphere doesn't necessarily have an outer edge where you can point to and say this is where it stops because oh. again this is just. Uh, this gas is becoming less dense as it's sort of streaming into space. Um, the sun, as far as clearly defined edges, it's not really something you can you can point to. Um, but it does sort of have an atmosphere, kind of lots of fine print, right? Mm. Tell us about the corona. <laughs> uh, the the corona is the uh, it's the outermost layer, and we basically don't see it because uh, the sun is so bright. And the corona is uh, very kind of uh, delicate and light, and it's a uh, it's a one percent, roughly as dense as the photosphere. So it is um, it it is uh, this this uh, portion of the sun's reach uh, that is streaming out from the surface of the sun, and it is streaming away very very hot material, but super thin, um, and and diffuse. And so if you're thinking, well. Uh, how do I? Where do I know the solar corona from? The answer is a total solar eclipse. If you see a total solar eclipse, so the moon um, passes in front of the sun, and from Earth now the sun is is conveniently blocked off by an object that is roughly the same apparent size in the sky, and uh, what you're left with is that huge halo of the, this this delicate halo of uh, light material radiating out from the sun that is only really visible during that total uh the total part of the eclipse that's the corona so you know we normally can't see it but when you block off the rest of the sun then you can see this beautiful kind of halo of uh of stuff reaching out from the sun that's that's the corona and that is the most um you know it's it's tenuous but it's hot and you know, you put an object like the sun at the center of the solar system; it's going to throw, uh, it's going to throw stuff off. And so, the influence of the sun is felt for a, a lot longer period than um, than just the size of the sun. It's it's felt way out into the solar system. And the corona is one example of that that uh, that we see. Uh, it's extending out for millions of kilometers and then even beyond the corona even when you look at the corona and you see that it's got this wonderful beautiful halo that we see from earth but um but then uh that ends uh you're just sort of it's it's still like everything with the sun here it's still sort of trailing off into 
uh, invisibility. And there's still impact beyond the corona because particles are still leaving the sun. Uh, they're just not as visible as the corona is. And that's what we call the solar wind, which is particles moving away from the sun. And uh, and the, the effect of the solar wind can be felt uh, way beyond uh, where you might think. I, I think Voyager... Uh, the Voyager probes have been measuring sort of like when is the solar winds influence lost? Uh, when, where, where, where is the sun's influence sort of like no more special than um, the rest of the, the, the galaxy and nearby stars and things like that. And it turns out that, that uh, we think that we've gotten there uh, depending on who you ask, but it's like, it's a very, it's very, very far. The sun is still putting out particles. Its influence is still felt. Um, you know, those bright pictures we see of Pluto, you know, even all the way out there, they're brightly lit by the sun, but also the solar wind continues to push particles out. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for our second uh, sponsor this week, which is uh, NCH uh, and Andrew Carroll. Trying to understand how to get all the paperwork and tax stuff in place for your business is the last thing you want to have to deal with when you're really just trying to make the thing that you love. And it's really easy to to get in a jam with this stuff or to be paying too much in for taxes and, you know, it can just be a real headache. Maybe you're a freelancer or if you have a dream of being an independent uh, content guy or you're just trying to deal with all this tax, tax nonsense, and this message is for you. Andrew Carroll is a CPA at NCH Tax and Wealth. And he's a big fan of all the great shows. He's actually a Relays accountant. Um, and he has put together a new ebook called The Freelancer's Guide to Escaping Taxes. It's all about how to understand what you need to do to make sure that you're being efficient and effective uh, with how you deal with taxes, getting things in place to properly avoid issues and fees and that sort of stuff down the line, and to make sure that you're taking care of your money, that you're, you're paying what you owe but not paying anything more. Andrew believes that business should be simple, and so he's made this free guide for people who want to learn how to make their freelance tax life easier. Believe me, it is complicated. But in a nutshell, he breaks down how to simplify your uh, your your tax situation, how to reduce your fees and taxes with step-by-step instructions anyone can follow. Andrew has been doing this a long time. He can help with almost anything related to business, taxes, or investments. But if you're a freelancer, go grab the guide right now at cpaandrew.com slash relay. I'd like to thank Andrew for supporting Liftoff and all of Relay FM. Right. So we're we're now at the corona. We're at sort of the uh, the edge of of what you could call the, the the main the main area taken up by the sun. But it is it is again more complicated than it seems. Um, we've talked about plasma uh, a lot throughout this episode, and it uh, plasma itself to kind of understand what it is. Um, it is basically. The leftover material—it's uh, electrified, and it's—it's it's leftover from those those hydrogen hydrogen protons uh, after getting smashed and being turned into helium. So it's it's the leftover material from that fusion process, and because it's electrified, it creates magnetic fields. And so if if you think about the Earth's magnetic field, it's much simpler than the sun's. We have. Uh, we've got our poles, and we kind of all know how that works. Pull a compass out; it knows which way is north because of that relatively simple magnetic field. In comparison with the sun, the sun these pl- these rivers of plasma that 
are rising from the core of a convection and eventually make it to the surface, they all have their own magnetic fields. And they don't always line up. They, they get tangled up on each other. Uh, they create uh, big arcs of material shooting out into space. Uh, they get tangled up in a way where the plasma, once it, it reaches the surface, it can't get back down because there's a magnetic field beneath it, either keeping it there or uh, or it's tangled up in, in another stream. Um Again, very messy. The, the sun is, uh, there's no clean edges here once this plasma really gets moving and, and gets tangled up with, with other bodies. Yeah, it, it's plasma, uh, it, it's kind of a hard concept, but if you're, if you're somebody who was taught there are three states of matter, um, that there's, there's solid, uh, liquid, and gas, that, that, that's generally thought that there is a fourth state of matter and it is plasma. And while gas is often a, an insulator, uh, except in certain, certain circumstances, uh, with plasma, uh, the electrons are flowing and, uh, and it's, and it's highly conductive. And so, uh, lightning, <laughs> by the way, plasma. Um, but, but so when that, that famous song that I've been quoting, the sun is a mass of incandescent gas, uh, it's generally thought now, well, really it's plasma because the, um, the, the electrons are free and flowing around and it's not like, uh, like other states of matter where there it's, it's more like discrete atoms in a way that we think of them with, uh, with solid liquid and gas. And there is, in fact, they might be giants did a follow-up song, which we can link to in the show notes. They did a little video of it that is called, um, uh, why does the sun really shine and includes the line the sun is a miasma of incandescent plasma <laughs> <laughs> because uh, learning has changed since the song that they, they covered famously was was written uh, way back when uh, so yeah it's it's plasma it's it's this is a, yet another reason why the, the sun is kind of hard to conceptualize but if you can imagine um, I think when you talked about things getting tangled, you imagine first off magnets and how sometimes they'll snap together and sometimes they'll repel based on their orientation. And then you think of like tangled up, uh, like strings or let's say for our tech technology people, uh, power cords and, and other kind of uh, computer cords or anything like that, things that get tangled up. If you put those two concepts together, you start to get the sense of the, like the crazy kind of complexity that happens in the sun because you've got these different magnetic fields and uh, and how everything kind of pushes against each other in, in a huge area. Mm -hmm. um, so surely you've heard of sunspots. Uh, sunspots are these collections of, of plasma that get stuck on the surface more or less and they begin to cool and because they co they're cooling uh they begin to dim and so uh, we see them as sort of dark spots or sunspots on the sun but um they're again not even this is as simple as it seems sunspots ed edges are agitated by magnetic fields and so the sunspot itself might be darker as that plasma cools but you get to the edges and it can actually be brighter than the sunspot uh, center and so it, it it overcompensates for the darkening um, and these edges are called faculae and they uh, again dark center super bright super hot edges because these magnetic fields are playing off each other and the plasma gets gets agitated did you know that there is an 11 year sunspot cycle I didn't know that but it's not in the show notes ah. so I've at it uh, yeah, it's interesting that one of the things that we, that we know is the sol the solar uh, cycle of eleven years and and solar activity um, seems to move in a cycle 
And so sunspots uh, appear, there are, there are periods where there are lots of sunspots and there are periods where there aren't. And it's because of this, um, you know, magnetic field moving and changing in, uh, in the sun. The uh, sunspots have a, have a cousin. Uh, sunspots are the plasma that gets um, stuck, more or less. Then uh, you also have big arcs of, of flowing plasma. Magnetic fields arc out over the surface of the sun, and the plasma follows it. Uh, we've got an image in the show notes of this uh, raining loop effect. Uh, they're called filaments or prominences. And they can stretch, again, hundreds of thousands of kilometers past the surface of the sun. Um, giant arcs of death. It's nice that you put the Earth... Uh, the, the This picture that you linked to has got the Earth in there for scale, so you can see that these things are way, way, way bigger than the Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you've got sunspots, plasma that's cooled, you have the faculae around it that it's hotter and brighter, and then you have these filaments that are extending out uh, into space. So all that stuff is what plasma does or can do once it gets to the surface of the sun and once it begins to cool that, that, uh, exchange of plasma turning over, but it, it can even get more exciting than that. So <laughs> this is just amping it up as we go. Uh, we have solar flares. So when these arcing magnetic fields get tangled with one another, they can basically explode and create a solar flare, which can release, up to 10% of the sun's total output in one moment. So a huge, bright explosion of material and light being thrown free of the sun at very high speeds. Not super pleasant. Yeah, this is one of the things that actually um, uh, solar flares, and I think what you're going to talk about next, coronal mass ejections. These are are bad-tempered moments for the sun that can affect people on Earth. Uh, It can affect our satellites. It can cause the electrical grid to be strained and it can create uh, aurora um but uh, also for people who were let's say outside of the protection of earth's magnetic field like traveling to mars or something like that this is one of the things that uh, astronauts for long duration spaceflight have to con- concern themselves with too because these are increases in uh in stuff that is not healthy for human bodies and needs to be shielded against you know if you're out uh, out of earth's protection traveling somewhere else Right, because it's not just light, it is the subatomic particles getting thrown off from the sun yeah. in, in huge bursts. So you, you got solar flares, and then you have uh, CMEs, uh, coronal mass ejections, which are basically solar flares on steroids, mm. just, uh, and they can send billions of tons of material um, out into space. And sun gets cranky. It does, it does. So it, the whole thing is, is, is just playing off each other, uh, all these different you know bodies of plasma and... Uh, the wrong kind of the wrong wires get crossed, if you will, and all of a sudden you just have a a big explosion that just shoots all this stuff out. And if it's aimed at us uh, here on Earth, it can be it can be bad. So these incoming particles can cause electrical tr- changes uh, in the Earth's crust, causing blackouts and grid problems. 1989 is sort of a recent big example. Uh, a, a severe geomagnetic storm um, that actually caused the partial collapse of the electrical system uh, in Quebec. Yeah. Yeah, this is the famous example that, like, there was a blackout in Canada uh, because of the sun. Again, we can't do anything about this, right? I mean, if this... if <laughs> We if, must kill the sun! Yeah, that would be, that'd be bad. Um, so we, we keep an eye on it. Um, there is a spacecraft... Uh, called soho 
Solar and Heliospheric Observatory. And uh, his job is to keep an eye on the sun um, and study the sun. But part of the mission is to is to keep an eye on the CMEs. Um, there was a big example um, several years ago. I don't have the year written down, um, but basically went uh, in a different direction from Earth. But you know, now if it was bad in 1989, think about now how how many more satellites are in use and just how more complex our infrastructure is. Uh, a, a CME or even a strong solar flare in our in our direct direction here on Earth could have catastrophic consequences. Yeah, and the question is, what what can you do about it? I mean, there are probably things that we can do with warning, um, and then other times you just got to ride it out and be aware that it's going to happen. This is this is weather. I mean, people talk about solar weather, and it seems kind of remote from us, uh, but but it's not the 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 sun and what it does is a kind of weather, and it can affect us. And it, not all of our weather is local. Basically, some of it is from the sun, and. Uh, and so being being aware that it's coming and being able to batten down the hatches or prepare or turn things off or remove things from the grid or whatever needs to be done. Um, but in the end, you know, this is how a, a, uh, a an electrical generator as big, a power generator as big as the sun is not without its its uh, quirks and something this huge, even a little, you know, a little burp can be dangerous or, or or disruptive and that's we happen to live by a sun and it keeps us alive you know and so it's we're glad that it's there but um it it uh when it's cranky it can be problematic right and again our atmosphere is doing a lot to protect us mm. uh from it so atmosphere these... and the and then um and then earth's magnetic field yeah both so these subatomic particles come streaming towards us some get absorbed or reflected from the atmosphere, some are pulled uh, to the poles, and it's actually where auras come from. So the northern or southern lights are the- yeah, they're going to the magnetic. They're running down the magnetic poles. Yeah, yeah. So you know these beautiful images you see from space station of um, you know this green glow across the atmosphere. That is is the atmosphere and the the subatomic particles from the sun and the electrical charges uh, playing in between them, mm. which is just really. Um, you know, it's like one of those things like they're so beautiful and then you realize what it is and it's the atmosphere protecting us mm-hmm. and the magnetic uh, poles of the earth protecting us from from a potential bigger problem. Uh, it's really a, a fun, it's fun, it's fun, neat to think about that, you know, we are here, like you said, sort of um, in this tension with the sun that we are here because of it uh, and we're only still here because it hasn't gotten angry at us. Um, and that, well, yeah, you know, I- the earth is... Earth is uh, in the in the butter zone temperature wise and distance, <laughs> but also the atmosphere. It all comes together right. perfectly to sustain life. And if it, and if it didn't, then we wouldn't be here. That you know, this, it's not it's not luck. This is uh, this is why life is able to flourish here. Is because the Earth's atmosphere is filtering out particles and you know, or uh, not particles, uh, wavelengths that would be otherwise dangerous to us. And the magnetic fields protect us from radiation. And this is all. Um, you know that that's why we're able to survive here. But it also says yes when, like I was saying, when when we want to go to another planet or something like that, we are going to have to take extra precautions because the Earth won't be there to protect us. I think uh, I think that covers the sun, Jason. Yeah, I mean, we could we we were talking about this. We actually we're talking about doing this and then aborted it and then came, kind of came back to it. Um, it's such a huge topic. This is a, a, a 
the barely scratching not the surface because it's not uh. there is no surface uh, <laughs> but uh and i'm sure somebody out there who is an expert on the sun would be like oh you didn't talk about this and that was this gross simplification and uh we admit it this was this is a big topic but uh i figured we we should we should take a crack at uh at at least giving uh, some of the basics of how the sun works and how what the scale of it is and how it impacts us. And there's a lot more that we could do and probably will come back to. Like I said, I I, uh, I really enjoyed one of my favorite things in the astronomy classes that I've taken is the stellar evolution stuff, life cycle of stars, you know, what stars turn into red giants, what stars turn into blue supergiants, uh, where do supernovae come from, things like that. We will do that at some point. I think that's a fun topic too. But, uh, you know, the sun is at the center so it's good uh it's good we so i guess we went to the moon because that's our buddy and now Mm we 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 have gone to the sun so it remains a question of where we'll go next and will we will we uh will we cherry pick throughout the solar system or are we gonna like uh turn on onto mercury next i don't know we'll have to we'll have to talk that one out we'll see yeah um, well, that does it for this episode of Liftoff. You can check out our show notes and links at the website, uh, relay.fm slash liftoff slash six, or in your podcast app of choice. Uh, you, you can email us from that page or get in touch on Twitter. The show is at Liftoff Podcast. You can find Mr. Snell at sixcolors.com and Jay Snell on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I'm at ISMH and write at 5filpixels.net. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, say goodbye, Jason. Bye, everybody. Adios. Adios.